Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Matthew. Yes, not Jonah. Matthew, chapter 12, beginning at verse 38. We're going to be looking at Jonah in the New Testament. And while you're turning to Matthew 12, 38, a couple things. Again, thank you for all those who helped yesterday with the spring cleaning and the mulch. And it was just a great day, great spirit of volunteering and unity. And, you know, they say a church that sweats together sticks together. And that's what uh, we did yesterday. So (laughs) very unifying. Uh, A couple more things I do want to mention. Uh, This week is Good Friday and Easter. We have a Good Friday service and Easter services. And we also have baptism next Sunday. So if you are interested in getting baptized or on the fence, uh, let me just encourage you because uh, you may be thinking, am I a good candidate or not to get baptized? Here's a a few things to think about with that. Number one, uh, you might be a good candidate to get baptized if if you're a new believer and have never been baptized. So if that's you, come talk with me. We're not going to force anyone, but I would encourage you to strongly consider it. Um, Another good candidate might be a person who's been a believer their whole life and has never been baptized and has a, a way of... Obeying Jesus Christ, you know, God is, I believe, calling you to do that. Another strong candidate might be someone who was baptized when they were really young or an infant, and so you didn't know what was going on, and so you might also be a good candidate to get baptized. And then finally, and this isn't always the case, but you might be a good candidate to get baptized if you were following Christ at one point in your life and you fell away for a long period of time, and now you've rededicated or come back to the Lord, you might also be a good candidate. So if that's you, please come talk with me. Because right now we have two for next week, and they're both in the first service. Not that we can't have any in the second, of course, but we'd love to see at least one or two in the second, if Lord willing. So, Well, Matthew, chapter 12, uh, beginning at verse 38, we're going to keep going with the series in Jonah. And if you would, would you stand for the reading of God's word? We're going to look at a passage in Matthew, and then in the book of Luke. So Matthew 12... Uh, beginning at verse 38. It says, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, to Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And he answered, A wicked and adulterous generation ask for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south, that's the queen of Sheba from the Old Testament, will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. And then if you'll flip over to the book of Luke, or just look on screen... (laughs) Luke chapter 11, beginning at verse 29. This is a parallel passage, very similar but slightly different. Luke eleven twenty nine 29 says, As the crowds increased, Jesus said, This is a wicked generation. Which I have to admit, when I first read that, I kind of laughed because it's like the crowds are increasing. Jesus is gaining in popularity. He's like, This is a wicked generation, you all, you know? He's not afraid to be honest and get to the heart. This is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. 
The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word this morning, Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to see, open the eyes of our heart to really understand what is going on. Lord, incline our heart to hear you and satisfy us with your steadfast love, we pray. May you remove all distractions, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you may be seated. Well, before I really focus on the main part of the text, I thought it was interesting you know, when you talk with certain people about the Bible, there's always people that are going to be skeptics and be like, how can we actually trust that the story of Jonah happened? I mean, this is a miracle for a fish to come and swallow a man and he survives for a period of three days and then gets spit out and he's fine. That's a miracle. Well, here's another reason why I think it actually happened because Jesus mentions this story not once, but twice at least on two different occasions to the religious leaders you see that in Matthew, he is talking to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And then he also mentions it to the crowds, probably the Gentile crowds in the book of Luke. And so they come to Jesus with a, with a question. Jesus, show us a sign. Do you know what they're asking? They're asking, Jesus, show us that you are whom you claim to be. You claim to be this powerful, awesome, great Messiah. Prove it. Show us, Jesus. And Jesus responds with two things. First, this is a wicked, and he adds, even adulterous generation. Yeah, Jesus does not mince words, does he? And then he says, no sign will be given to you except the sign of whom? You can, you can answer. Jonah. No sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. He says that in Matthew, and he says that in Luke. So what is Jesus talking about? What is the sign of Jonah? Well, today we're going to look at the sign of Jonah in Matthew, first of all. And then we'll look at the sign of Jonah in the book of Luke. And then we're going to try to apply it in three ways. So the sign of Jonah in Matthew and in Luke, and then three ways to apply it this morning. So first of all, the sign of Jonah in Matthew. Let me just read that again, the first couple of verses. If you go back one slide, there we go. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So here's what I want you to do, just for a second. Before I tell you what the sign of Jonah is in Matthew, I want you to turn to your neighbor and see if you can answer it just in like 10 seconds. Don't think too hard. Turn to your neighbor and see if you can figure out what the sign of Jonah is. On your marks, get set, go. <laughs> you may have to look behind you for a neighbor too, but that's okay, yeah. I'll give you a couple more seconds. So while you're wrapping that up, remember that a sign is not significant in and of itself. It's only significant in what the sign points to, right? So what is the sign of Jonah that Jesus is referring to in Matthew? And you may have saw it flashed on screen. Do you know what it is? If you go to the next slide, it is Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Say that with me. Jesus' death burial, and resurrection. So the sign of Jonah in the Old Testament is pointing to those three things in the New Testament. 
And Jesus makes that connection very clear. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the earth for three days and three nights. So just as Jonah experienced the sort of death, he went in this tomb of a whale. So Jesus experienced literal death. He went in a literal tomb, his body did. Just as Jonah was spit out and recommissioned to go to the Ninevites, so Jesus was spit out, so to speak, from the grave and commissioned to go and teach to his disciples for 40 days before he went up into heaven. And just as Jonah, his preaching saved many of the Ninevites. I mean, the whole city comes to know the Lord. So Jesus, his preaching also and his work saved many. So there are a lot of parallels between Jonah and Jesus. So Jesus says, I'm not going to give you a sign, Pharisees, teachers of the law. What I'm about to do is the sign. I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried. And then I'm going to be spit out like Jonah when I'm resurrected. So that's the first sign of Jonah from Matthew. And now let's look at the sign of Jonah from Luke, because even though it's similar, it's slightly different. So it says in verse 29 that as the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. So do you notice how that's slightly different than before? In Matthew, it was very specific. Jesus would be in the, in the heart of the earth three days, three nights. You know, Jonah was in the whale. But now it just says, in general, that Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites, and so Jesus is going to be a sign to them. So what is the sign from the book of Luke? I'm glad you asked. Let's keep reading in verse 32. It says, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. So that's the city of Nineveh that repented that Jonah preached to. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something, or I would say someone, is greater than Jonah. Greater than Jonah is here. The sign, in, the sign of Jonah in Luke is slightly different. I think it's this specifically, that it is his preaching about God's coming judgment that leads ultimately to repentance. So if you look on screen from Luke, preaching about God's judgment that leads to repentance. Let's say that together. Preaching about God's judgment that leads to repentance. So Jonah preached a sermon, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. It's five words in Hebrew. And the whole city repents. It was a sign to them that they needed to repent or they're going to face God's judgment. So Jesus comes along in the New Testament, and similarly, as the greater Jonah, he preaches too about God's judgment, God's wrath, God's coming kingdom, and they too need to repent if they're going to be part of the kingdom of God. I mean, you can really connect both these ideas, can't you? The sign of Jonah really is, as he is preaching and Jesus is preaching about God's judgment, they are encouraged to, lead, to repent and ultimately encouraged from Matthew to look to the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. If they look to the sign of Jonah, they will be saved. So let's apply this. Hopefully this will help it become clear and you'll see why this is such an important thing, the sign of Jonah. Let's apply the sign of Jonah in three ways. Number one, if you are not a believer and you're here this morning, first of all, we want to say we're glad you're here. And then I also want to say, I believe Jesus is calling you to repent and believe in the sign of Jonah. Let me say that again. If you are not a believer or on the fence, I believe Jesus is applying this text to you to say you need to repent and believe in the sign of Jonah. You see, just as Jonah went and preached to the scary city of Nineveh and they repented at the preaching of Jonah, 
So now Jesus is reaching out to you, and through the preaching of the word today, you are called to repent and believe, just like they were called to repent and believe, or you will face his judgment. And unless you believe in the one who was in the grave, just like Jonah was in the fish for three days and three nights, or parts of three days and three nights, unless you believe in him, you will face the storm of God's wrath. This is God's sign for you this morning. In fact, I believe this is God's grace to you this morning. If you're here today and you're not a believer, it is an amazing thing that you get to be here and hear about this. God appointed you for be here for this very day. You know, I often hear from people that are struggling to believe in Jesus. They'll say, well, Pastor Rick, I, I won't believe in a God who does blank. You ever heard that? Maybe you've said that. Or Pastor Rick, I won't believe in a God who's like this or who does this or who's like this in the Old Testament. Or, or maybe you're like these leaders in the crowds. I will believe in God if he shows me a sign. You know, if I can watch him on YouTube because YouTube verifies everything. You know, then I'll believe in him. Or if he'll heal this person or do this miracle. If I pray this prayer and he answers, then I'll believe in God. But I'm here to tell you today that you need no other sign. Jesus says, you have the sign. You have the death, you have the burial, and you have the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we're getting ready to celebrate in force this week. That is enough to believe in Jesus Christ, he says. You don't need any other sign. So if you're here this morning, I would encourage you, just like the Ninevites were encouraged, strongly encouraged to repent and believe, so you are encouraged too to repent and believe in the sign of Jonah, because it's enough. Just as Jonah even through his disobedience, God saved many. So through Christ in the New Testament, through his obedience, Christ gives the opportunity to save all who will repent and believe. You know, just as Jonah faced a lot of suffering for what he did for his disobedience and punishment, Jesus faced suffering for his obedience because he was faithful to, to God his Father. He died an infinitely worse kind of suffering than Jonah ever experienced. You know, just as Jonah was outside the city hoping for its destruction. He was hoping that God would rain fire and sulfur on Nineveh. Jesus went outside the city, not to see it burn, but he went outside the city of Jerusalem because he was dying for the Ninevites. He was, for the Jerusalemites, excuse me, for you and me. He was dying for them. He was being destroyed for them in their place. And if you look to him today, I can guarantee you will be saved. Let me go to the second application. And by the way, if you have, ever have questions, concerns about what I'm saying, come talk to me, email me. I would love to talk further. The second application is for believers here this morning. And this applies specifically to evangelism, that when you share your faith, trust that the sign of Jonah is enough. When you share your faith, and I hope that all of you are thinking about and praying about and looking for open doors to share your faith, you can trust that the sign of Jonah is enough for you to share. You can trust that the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death and burial and resurrection, what God has done through that, is enough for you to share and for someone to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Let me see a quick show of hands. I love taking surveys. I know you know this already. But how many of you are scared to share your faith? Wow, nobody. Okay, a few people. Okay. <laughs> how many of you are really scared to share? That makes you really uncomfortable. You could think about a hundred better things you'd rather do with your time than that, because <laughs> it's awkward. Well, I think one of the reasons we're scared is because we think that we have to have a certain answer. We think that we have to be able to respond to every objection that comes along our way. Maybe answer questions about science or who knows what, or, or maybe somebody will ask us, well, why did God allow this in my life? And they may ask that and that's okay. But let me just encourage you. 
You don't need anything else other than the sign of Jonah. Jesus' death, his burial, and resurrection to talk to someone about Jesus. You can talk about God's coming judgment unless they repent and look to the sign of Jonah. They will miss out on knowing God and being with God in his kingdom. That's enough. Really, it is. You know, I often hear all sorts of excuses from people. I have to know so much more. No, you don't. You don't need to know that much. Thankfully, <laughs> you just need to know the sign of Jonah. I remember one of my uh, mentors in seminary, he used to preach this to his class. He would say, what you win people with is what you win them to. Let me say that again. What you win somebody to Christ with is what you win them to. So if I win someone to Christ with my clever arguments, guess what I've won them to? My clever arguments. If I win someone to Christ thinking that telling them their life is going to be way better and rosier and easier and no pain or suffering, guess what I've led them to? Not Christ. But if I win someone to Christ with Christ in the gospel, guess what I've won them to? Christ in the gospel. You see, there's this temptation that we have to dress it up and, and make a bigger elephant to come with the gospel to make it look awesome. But it is awesome enough. It is adequate enough. It is sufficient enough. If you teach and preach the sign of Jonah and share it with someone else, it is enough to save them. Just as Jonah preached for five Hebrew words, and that was enough to save the Ninevites because God was working. So God can work through your message when you share that with someone else. Amen? Amen. Let's go to the final one. For believers, again, really, this is for both believers and non-believers. We can trust God no matter what because of the sign of Jonah. In fact, would you read that out loud with me? For believers, we can trust God no matter what because of the sign of Jonah. And this is getting really personal. But sometimes we struggle to trust God. But God has given us an incredible sign that he is with us that he cares for us because of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have incredible proof that we can trust God. No matter what you're going through this morning, and I know that people are coming here from all walks of life with incredible challenges and circumstances. I mean, I think, I wish sometimes we could just share the struggles we're experiencing because it would be eye-opening for most of us. But, but we can trust God no matter what because of what God has done through the sign of Jonah, Jesus Christ, and his death and burial and resurrection. You know, sometimes we'll pray a prayer like this. Do you ever pray something like this? You kind of bargain with God. You say, Lord, if you just do this, then I will really serve you. Lord, if you just answer this prayer this way and heal this person and show me this or get me this job, then I'll really be committed to you. I want to ask you to raise your hand if you prayed that way, but we've probably all done that. And the problem with that kind of prayer is we are starting to be like these Pharisees and teachers of the law in Matthew who wanted a sign. We're starting to be like these crowds in Luke because we're demanding that God prove himself when he's already proved himself, when he, when he was going to prove himself, Jesus says. You know, when we start to have that kind of attitude like, Lord, I will do this if you do this, we are starting to view God as a means to an end rather than the end in and of itself. We start to want God for his blessings rather than wanting God the blesser. We start wanting God for his signs like they did rather than the savior himself. We want the gifts rather than the giver of the good gifts. Are you with me? And that can be a very dangerous thing to have. 
We start to view God as a means to an end. You know, when we start to pray that way, like, Lord, I will really believe in you if you grant me X, do you know what that means about what you're really serving? You're not serving God in that case if you're praying that way. You're actually serving X, fill in the blank, money, power, relationships, whatever it is, your job. God in that case is a means to an end. It's almost like, it's almost like you're marrying God for his money, if I can say that. We don't want God. We want all the blessings he gives us, the money he gives us, whatever it is, fill in the blank. You know, one of the things I kind of wrestled with this week is why is this, why does Jesus say that they are so wicked? You know, they're asking for a sign. Seems like a legitimate question. Lord, show us a sign. And he's like, you wicked generation or you wicked and adulterous generation. If I got up and said that to you, some heads would turn like, what are you doing, Pastor Rick? <laughs> but Jesus doesn't mince words because, first of all, he knows their heart. And he knows that they are just viewing him as a means to an end. In fact, right before both of these passages, do you know what happens in Luke and Matthew that they probably just witnessed? There's a man who's demon-possessed, and he is blind, and he is mute because of his demon possession. By the way, that's a category we often don't think of in the West here, do we? That a man is blind, and he is mute because he is possessed by a demon. And Jesus heals the man so that he can now speak, and he can now see. And you know what the Pharisees say about this miracle as well as the crowd? you remember this story, some of you? They say by Beelzebul or by Satan, Jesus is driving out demons. And that's where he gets into that whole thing of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which is another sermon for another day. But see, they had seen, they had seen an incredible sign, and they're still saying, well, that is not enough. You know, for some of us this morning, we are just like them. When is it ever going to be enough for what Jesus is doing and saying to you. Hasn't he convinced himself enough to you that he's died for you? He's been buried for you and he's risen for you. He's done it for you and for his father too to be obedient, but he's done it for you too. When is it gonna be enough? One of the tests to see in your life, if you're fully trusting in Jesus, this is a, a test you can ask yourself is how do you react when suffering comes your way? When you get stressed, and I mean severely stressed, how do you react? What comes bubbling to the surface? Do you really trust in Jesus? Are you drawn to Jesus during, the, during those times? Or are you drawn to something else? Are you drawn to, to barter with God and put something in the place of God when we talked about idolatry last week? You know, really the reason that Jesus called them an adulterous generation is because they were idolatrous. If you have an idol in your life, you are committing spiritual adultery against God. It's a pretty grave image. But back to that suffering test, when you go through suffering, what comes bubbling out of your mouth? What comes rising to the surface in your emotions when you are stressed, when you're facing suffering? Because chances are when that happens, that's what you see when you really, that's when you see if you really value God the most or not. If you've only married God for his money or you've married God for him alone. You know, when I was a kid, I remember my dad and brother and I, every Saturday, we, when it was nice out, like last Saturday, we'd get the cars out and we'd wash the cars. It was kind of a Saturday ritual and we'd listen to country music and I don't recommend that, but that's what we did. <laughs> no offense if you like country music. <laughs> and one of the things I always remember as a kid was I'd get the sponge wet that had been sitting there in the garage all week. And my dad always told me to squeeze it out first. You know why? Because it had been used a week before. 
When I got it wet and I'd squeeze it out, do you know what came out of this sponge that had soap in it at one point? This black, messy, gooey stuff. <laughs> and so I had to clean it out, rinse it out, and squeeze it out to get all that black, gooey stuff out. So then I could put soap on it and actually use it to wash the car and not scratch the car, hopefully. I bring that up because our hearts are just like that car wash sponge. When you get stressed, when you go through suffering, you are getting squeezed from all sides. And some of you feel that this morning, don't you? You're getting squeezed and what is coming out of, the, of your heart? Is it some black, nasty, gooey stuff, certain words, certain emotions, just not trusting the Lord? Incredible worry? Or when you're squeezed, even though it's hard, even though that's normal to respond with some stress, of course, do you look to Jesus and trust in him no matter what because of the sign of Jonah? Do you know what happened to Jesus when he was squeezed on the cross? Remember what comes out of his mouth? Well, before that, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, do you know what Jesus prays when he is sweating drops of blood? I mean, he is stressed. He says, not my will, Father, but yours be done. <laughs> when he's on the cross, do you know what comes oozing out of Jesus on the cross? Scripture. <laughs> he quotes Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When you get squeezed, the Scripture come bubbling out of you. <laughs> I mean, he's fulfilling scripture in that moment, too. You know what else came bubbling out of the cross, of his heart when he's on the cross? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When you're squeezed, are you forgiving people in that moment, too? You know what else came out of Jesus on the cross when he's being squeezed? He said, he tells a thief who's beside him, today you will be with me in paradise. I mean, he is saving another human being. I mean, he's doing that with his work on the cross, but right then and there, amidst all the pain and suffering and lack of breath he has, he's saying today, you will be with me in paradise. When you're suffering and getting squeezed, are you sharing your faith like Jesus did? <laughs> now, of course, Jesus is at a standard we can never reach. That's what's amazing about Jesus, but if you submit to Jesus Christ and you have a heart that says, Lord, I'm having a hard time trusting you, I'm going to give it to you no matter what. If you put your trust in Jesus, then even through the hard times when you are squeezed, you will trust in him. And we have incredible reason to do so because of the sign of Jonah. Just as Jonah was in a fish, so Jesus was in the grave. And just as Jonah was spit out, Jesus was spit out and recommissioned and commissioned to to spread the gospel and commission his disciples. And now he's ascended to the Father and he's poured out the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us that can help us trust God no matter what we're going through this morning. Are you trusting in Jesus? You know, one more thing I want to say that I just thought of. You know, as you read the book of Jonah, the book of Jonah is not so much about the Ninevites that God saved as so much about Jonah, that one person in his heart with the Lord you see this because of chapter 4 when he throws a big temper tantrum, right, at the very end of it. But what's incredible about Jonah is that God does not stop pursuing Jonah. He keeps giving him opportunity after opportunity. He recommissions him. And even in chapter 4, when he sends a plant to cover him with shade, then he sends a worm to eat the plant so that his head is exposed to the hot Middle Eastern sun and a, and a hot wind comes in. Do you know why God is doing all these things? It's because he's causing Jonah to react and really look at his heart. He's causing Jonah to experience some stress. He's squeezing him so that Jonah can actually look at what's inside his own heart. And so one of my final challenges to you this morning, if you are getting squeezed in life and stressed and, suffer and suffering, I don't wish that on anyone, of course, 
but it's always an opportunity for you to look at what's really in your heart. When you're squeezed, does Jesus come out or does that black goo come out like in the car wash? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Let's just take a moment to pray and think. Mike, would you mind playing just softly? Is that okay? Just take a few moments to, to pray and think. What is God asking you to do in response to today's sermon? Maybe it's he's calling you to share your faith and trust that the sign of Jonah is enough. Maybe to believe in him for the first time because of the sign of Jonah. Or just to, to recommit and trust he's given you the sign of Jonah. He cares for you. He's with you. Let's take a moment and think about that. Father, I pray that we'd continue to have a conversation with you today and this week about what we ultimately trust in. And Lord, if it's not you, may you reveal that to us, even through discipline and suffering and pain. Lord, those in some ways can be, not always they feel like, but they can be a way of you getting our attention, just like you got Jonah's attention. So help us not to squander those moments, Lord, to reevaluate our lives and to fully trust in you. And thank you that Jesus, boy, he is our ultimate example Thank you that he did what we could not. He lived the life that we failed to live and he died the death we deserve. Lord, to glorify you and because he loves us. Father, may this Easter week be just an incredible week of rejoicing in you and celebrating you. You are an awesome God. Father, we commit these things to you in Jesus' name.